This podcast is sponsored by Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo by visiting globalshopsolutions.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by the great Cooper Klein, the wonderful Stone Hansen, and we are here to, to do a mailbag. Um, it's that time of the year where there's not a whole ton going on in draft season. This is right before we're going to start sort of our buildup towards March Madness. Um, and when you're looking to kill time, man, there is no better way to do it than just talking uh, talking mailbag, getting some questions from you guys, uh, trying to get to some of your burning questions. I think this is um, – we have a lot of really interesting questions. It, it really warmed my heart to see the turnout for this because the first time we did one of these mailbags, we had about four <laughs> questions, I think. Um, so it really feels like we've grown a lot since then. Yeah, Coop was two of them, I think, so <laughs> – um uh, we've grown a lot since then uh so this was this was heartwarming to see but before we dive fully into it Coopstone, my friends how are you doing uh doing well um it's been a while you know since we've recorded so it's cool to get back uh looking forward to it and looking forward to answering some awesome questions yeah happy to be here tonight with y'all it's gonna be a really fun one we got a good mix of of types of questions we didn't just get a bunch of the same kind. So this will hopefully be a pretty good episode. Ready to get started. Yeah, uh, I will say too, I'm in a good mood as well. Um, right now, the WC men's basketball team is on a five-game winning streak and the women's basketball team is on a four-game winning streak. Both have had some huge wins in that stretch. So I'm feeling good. This next week is going to really test the limits for how much I like really love basketball because um, I have two rec league games to start off the week, Monday, Tuesday, and then I'm working games with the women's team Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then the men play um, uh, Thursday, Saturday. And my birthday is at some point this week too, and people are coming up. And so it's just like, it's a huge, crazy long week for me. So Happy birthday. no, we are not singing. We are not singing. That's for the next pod. Once it's, then you can do a posthumous birthday instead yes, of a yeah. preemptive birthday. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, but let's just dive into the questions. Let's get right to it. So this first one is from our friend, um, big Alabama fan at Hunter Cruz 14. Um, he says, build a roster with these constraints. Um, no one in your top 10, one guy on your board from 11 to 20, one guy from 21 to 30, one guy from 31 to 40, one guy from 41 to 50, and one guy from 50 to 60. Uh, this is always a really fun exercise. We're going to do this as a bit of a draft. Um, I don't have a little thing for order, but um, we're just going to go Coopstone me. So, um, and, and uh, should we snake it? Should we do the snake? We can snake it. That'll be that'll be most fair, I imagine. Okay. Uh, All it's right. Okay. I will. I will also keep track of our rosters. So. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have you guys vote on who won, um, whose team kicks the most ass and makes it the furthest in the tournament. Okay, you can do that on our TikTok. And this is this is not necessarily – this is like – is that how we want to do it? Do we want to do like building a college basketball team or are we doing like building like a future cool. NBA team? What does it say in the question? <laughs> it I just says like build sure. a roster. We're overthinking this. Yeah. We're overthinking this. That's part out, but I think we should do it as like draft prospects. Yeah, we got to do it like – Oh, fuck. That screws up my whole – I built the perfect college basketball team. You can go ahead and do that. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, all right. So, Coop, your pick. Your pick first. 
Okay, so my pick from 11 to 20 uh, will be Alex Fudge. Uh, I have him right on the cusp, and we're going to start with that great defensive backbone uh, and build around just one of the best defensive playmakers ever. So that's my 11 to 20. Uh, I'm going to go Kendall Brown. Um, he's right at 11th for me. Uh, and I think that he's probably the most versatile guy I can build around. All right. I'm going to go Jeremy Sochan, uh, just so we all start with forwards. Um, and I like Sochan a lot. He will also grant me a lot of light effects flexibility. Um, so I'm up again, right? Is that how we're doing this? Um, so I will go with, um, <clears throat> Ooh, this is, this is just for Stone. Stone, I want you to look me in the eyes. I'm going to take Jan Montero. Um, <laughs> that, that didn't have the impact I wanted it to, but I know Jan is Stone's guy. I, I need a point guard. Um, so uh, he's, he's my guy here. Uh, Stone, it's your turn. All right. Well, uh, that was rude. Um, <laughs> 23, 30. I'm going to go... Mm, I'll take sort of a wing guard as well. I'm going to take Jordan Hall for... Speaking of which, Coop, it is your turn. Uh, Stone messed up my perfect college basketball roster that I had built. I spent about 20 to 30 minutes working on this team, and now you've messed up everything. It's okay. Um, instead of Jordan Hall, I'm going to take uh, Darion Stebron here because I'm addicted to funky forwards and just having someone who has great rim pressure like that and isn't awful defensively has shown that he can play a couple different roles. Got to, got to think outside the box now that stones ruined everything for me. Oh, and then it's my turn again. Um, and that means this pit can't get ruined for me. I'm going to take Walker Kessler uh, for my 31 to 40. Uh, just, basically building a defensive masterpiece here. So watch out. Stone, you are up. Um, I'm just moving my board around now so I can fudge the numbers. Just kidding. Uh, I'm going to take Hyundung Lee, I think, with my uh, 30 through 40 pick. Give myself a shooter. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, so for me, 30 through 40, this is where it gets hard because um, – uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just tough. And also I'll say, I haven't updated my board in a long time. So this is maybe cheating, but I'm going to take John Butler. Um, because, uh, you know, he's probably a lottery pick if I were to redo my board right now, but I didn't do that before this pod and I probably won't for a long time at this point. So, uh, yeah, John Butler right now, he's 31 on my board. So, uh, I'll take it. Um, and then I'm up again, this is where we're getting a little deeper, 40 through 50. Oh, you know what? This is actually really easy. And you guys are going to be mad at me again because this is someone who also doesn't belong in this range. That's Justin Lewis from Marquette. Um, because I last did my big board before he went on this heater um, that has uh, made Marquette a top 25 team. So uh, just just complete complete bullshit for me. If you guys want me to redo that pick, I can. I completely understand if you guys object to that pick. Um, actually, you know, for because I feel bad for that, I will. I will. I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna take Tevin Brown from Murray State, who's like a little more like deserving to be in this range. I really think his shooting 
uh, pairs nicely with my team because uh, everyone can shoot. Jan's going to get into the paint. So, uh, yeah, um, Stone, it is back to you. Oh, boy. Um, I got to get a big in here. Uh, this is tough. Just play Kendall Brown at the five. That's all you need. Uh, I'm going to, for my 40 through 50... Okay, uh, I'm gonna take my take a risk and hope that my big is there on my next one. For my forty through fifty, I'm gonna take JD Davis, and um, I think most people would probably have him higher, but I'm not too on on him this year, so uh, I'm gonna give myself a little bit of uh, a little bit more shooting, hopefully. He's an excellent he's an excellent energy forward for your team. So, uh, so it's my turn with back to back picks here. Um, and I am going, I'm going to, you know, since we're all fudging around a little bit, you know, technically, okay, I'm going to take Mike Miles um, for my TSU friends or TCU friends uh, who got their butts kicked by Nigel Pack tonight uh, just for Stone. They were, they were all losing their minds over Nigel Pack. Uh, and so I'll, I'll take Mike Miles, the savior of, of TCU. And then I'm going to take Jaden Shackelford as my 51 to 60. Um, because that, I think this, we have enough shooting. We don't have as much shooting after, after Stone messed up everything, but we have enough shooting and defense at every position. This defense is absolutely stifling. Uh, you're not getting anything through this length and, activity so and then you're getting spotted by you know one of the best big men in the country walker kessler uh once your little midget yawn and an off-ball wing get to the pin, get to the get to the rim so hope y'all are happy uh man um it's my pick right all right well i can't take any more midgets uh i'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to go with Anton Watson here um, for my 50 through 60. I'm not sure if he counts because I'm expecting he doesn't come out of this. So I can pick someone else if you guys want. But I think for me, he's. That's a perfect pick. That Yeah. Okay. More yeah. PNW representation is always welcome. Cool. Um, I'm really happy with my team. I think I think I won unbiasedly. Okay. Um, so for my final pick, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Dyson Daniels. <laughs> Um, because he is in my 51 to 60 range. So uh, <laughs> I thought that would I thought that would crack you guys up. So uh yeah, that's that's my team. Uh um, I'm gonna change my 50 through 60. I'm gonna take Jaden Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's funny is I thought about him here too. <laughs> it was between Daniels and Hardy for me because I have a 51 and 52 right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which Dyson Daniels will end up higher than that. I'm positive. Some of the guys I've ranked higher than him won't end up in this class. I Every time I watch the G League Ignite, I kind of ignore him and just focus on my boy Marjon. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so which one are you changing? You're changing Anton Watson for Jaden Hardy. I was just kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I think, um, Coop, I will leave these in here and you can make the TikToks however you want. Or do you want us to say our team for you to... We can just we can just go through say our teams uh, and make a quick argument. So then I have a little soundbite that I can use in the video. All right, go ahead. Uh, so my team 
is Mike Miles and Jaden Shackelford in the backcourt, uh, Darion Sebron and Alex Fudge filling out the forward spots, and then Walker Kessler in the middle protecting the paint. Great defense here. Nobody is scoring on this team. Too much activity, uh, too much demon time to ever score on this team. So beware, beware my team. Um, so for my team, uh, in which we drafted one guy from every 10 slots on our draft board, um, this is what I ended up with. I went at guard, Jan Montero, um, at the wing spots, Tevin Brown and Dyson Daniels, and then at the forward spots, Jeremy Sochan and John Butler. Um, these are guys I have, you know, 11, uh, 23, 25, or 35, guys like that in those ranges. Um, and I think that for me, this team is all about we have the elite playmaker. We have a lot of complimentary passers. Everyone can shoot. Uh, we're going to space teams out. Jan is going to live in the paint. And I think our defense is good enough. Uh, it's very versatile. We have rim protectors and uh, switchable guys. So um, I'm happy with this team. Yeah. And then uh, for myself, um, I took uh, J.D. Davison and Jordan Hall uh, sort of as my guards. Uh, my wings will be Hyun Jung Lee and Kendall Brown. Uh, and then my, my big man will be Anton Watson. Um, my perimeter defense is pretty disgusting, but uh, I'm hoping that my playmaking sort of across the board and, and shooting can make up for it on the offensive end. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, thanks again to um, at Hunter Cruz 14 for that question. Um, so we're going to move on. Uh, so this next question, better playmaker, Ty Ty Washington or Alondez Williams? And that's from at C Sarazda. I'm sorry if I messed that up. At C Sarazda on Twitter. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll throw this uh, to Coop. Um, for what you've seen of these guys, who would you have as the better playmaker? He doesn't just say passer, he says all around playmaker. So where are you at with that? I had Alondez. Uh, as the better playmaker, I think just the crispness and consistency of his passes, as well as his ability to lead guys into open shots, sort of gives him the edge here. I think Ty Ty is really good at finding guys who make themselves open off ball and hitting guys in the paint, but he's not as good at as many passes as Alondez is. Uh, and like I said, I just think uh williams's ability to create open shots and throwing the ball to where guys are going to be on the perimeter and like getting them to move into open spaces is is more impressive and more valuable as a playmaker than tai tai yeah i went alondez as well um i think some of it for me is just that i think tai tai is is sort of a mechanical passer i think in that i i don't think his reads are super high level they're very um, this is what, this is what you're reading. This is the play you're supposed to make, which is fine that there's, there's a place for that. That's every good backup point guard in the NBA is like that basically. Uh, and if you are too overzealous as a passer, you're Facundo Campazzo and he sucks. So, um, but, uh, in, in all seriousness, um, yeah, I, I just think Alondez is a bit more, um, versatile, but I will say that if I had to like, who would I rather let run a pick and roll it would be tie tie so if, if you're like viewing that as like the most important type of playmaking with these guys then i i suppose tie would be the answer but i think in terms of the variety of passes they throw um alondez gets the rim better 
Uh, I just think Williams is a slightly better playmaker, but uh, it, it's definitely close. And they're, and they're very different types of playmakers, despite both being generally good passers. Um, any other thoughts on this one? All right, sweet. Um, let's move on. We got two questions from uh, at our friend at Corbin NBA. Um, he's been on our pod a couple times now, I believe. Um, he, the first question he asked is top three shooters in this draft. Um, this is tough. There are This is a draft full of like good, big shooters. So uh, Coop, I'm going to throw that to you first, if possible. Yeah. Uh, so my top three shooters are uh, Jabari Smith, just absolutely nuts as a shooter, contested, hand in his face, off the dribble, back to the basket, off the catch. Uh, whatever you want, Jabari's going to be able to get you as long as it doesn't involve too much dribbling. Uh, and then I have A.J. Griffin as another one of my top three shooters. Uh, he's apparently just the most efficient player ever with his like 65% true shooting and 50% from three on pretty decent volume. Uh just absolutely insane what he's been able to do, especially coming off injury. Uh, and then Hyun Jung Lee is my third uh, top three shooter. Just one of the most ridiculous shooters in the world, honestly. He can hit him off the dribble, off the catch. Uh, he can sidestep, you know, can change his base. Uh, he's had great percentages over his three years at Davison. Uh, and he's got a great long track record. He was a 50-40-90 guy last season off a pretty tough difficulty. I think the difficulty's taken another step up with, uh, what's his name, leaving and him becoming the, the primary guy there at Davison. Uh, but he's just an absolutely nuts shooter. And no matter where he goes in the NBA, I think that's going to translate at a pretty high level. Yeah. Uh, Stone, do you have your top three ready? Yeah, um, my my top shooter is also uh, Jabari Smith. I just think he's, uh, for his size uh, and the things that he can do, the way he moves, um, it's pretty pretty tough to, I think, sort of debate that. Uh, number two, I actually have Benedict Matherin. Um, I think he's just a pretty crazy shooter, especially off movement, possibly the best movement shooter in this draft. Uh, but, you know, there, there's arguments for... Uh, the third guy that I have, which is Hyunjin Lee, um, I also agree that he's just wild as a shooter. Um, so that, that's probably my top three right now. Yeah, uh, interesting. It's it's hard to define like best shooter because I I personally factor in versatility a lot. You know, like that's why like if we asked the same question about last year's class, it might have been controversial, but I wouldn't have included Corey Kispert. Um, so it's it's sort of like trying to find the mix of pull up shooting off movement shooting just pure efficacy as a spot up shooter like find that mix to, to create best three and it's never a perfect science but at one i'm going to go adrian griffin jr um he's the one who i most trust to just hit nutty shots forever um at two i'm going to go benedict matherin um and then at three i'm going to go tevin brown uh tevin brown is the guy we didn't mention i think he is just a um he, he is he he has an argument for like best just like pure spot up shooter in this class um and he's also really like perfect footwork on pull-ups and off movement like it, it's very textbook you could teach it in a class um so I, I i buy that translating upwards um i like Kevin brown a lot i think he's one of the more underrated guys in this class for me right now playing for a really good murray state team um but uh, jabari smith would have been close to me 
Um, moving on to the next question, also from at Corbin NBA. Um, between Jabari and Paolo, who do you think is best equipped to be a number one option starting out next season? So I think this means like in their rookie season, if they were to take the majority of a usage for a team, who do you think is, is best equipped to do it? Um, Stone, I'll throw that to you first. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Jabari Smith on this one. Um, I just think that in sort of the role that he'll be in, um, it'll be high enough usage. Uh, and I think that he's, I guess, just more able to provide positive impacts in so many different areas. Um, so I think, I don't know, it's tough because and on one hand, I think he, he has the skills to sort of be a number one option for a tanking team. Uh, and then with Paolo, I think he also has the skills, but it's just not probably as efficient. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, I'm going to go Jabari, but I can I can sort of be swayed to Paolo. Yeah, I'm going to go Paolo. Um, I just don't think Jabari, like, I don't, I don't see like a number one option type usage role in his future at all. Um, it's sort of like we've talked about, like, I think his best role is almost like a connecting forward who just happens to be like one of the best shooters in the world at his size. Um, maybe he'll find some, some pathways to sort of like other types of creation that I'm not seeing, but I just, I think Paolo uh, can create from the perimeter. He can score in the post. I think he can pass better than Jabari Smith comfortably. Um, that's not to say he's like hundred percent a better prospect because I think there's an argument that Jabari might be more scalable long-term, but uh, if it's just about like, who do I trust more to, you know, have like a 28% usage next season uh, for me, it's comfortably Paolo. Cooper, are you, are you on the, I guess you're the deciding vote here. So where are you at? Yeah. Uh, this might come as a shocker as the guy who argued that Jabari should be number one, but uh, I think that Paolo as the guy who's best equipped to be a number one option, especially starting next season, um, I mean, like you said, if you're asking who's going to be the best player long-term, I think that's a different thing, but Paolo, you know, that he can go in, use that strength to create off the dribble. He's got a much stronger handle, much easier ability to get to the rim. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to, I think it's going to be a lot easier for a team to just go, Hey, here's however much usage you can handle. Uh, we don't really give a shit what happens just go do it uh then with jabari who you know isn't even you know i hate to I hate to be a recentist and kind of overreacting a little bit but he's not even getting all these clutch shots down the stretch for auburn against a shitty shitty georgia team where he takes like seven shots um i mean i i, I sound like a sports talk radio host there but uh i just think that paulo is better equipped with his specific skill set and scoring ability to be a number one option next season yeah uh i'm gonna be honest uh with this question i i i think i just mistook it as number one player like during the rookie season and i see number one option so i'm gonna switch my vote to palo uh we'll make it unanimous um i, I should have paid closer attention all good i think the simplest answer to this question is that I could see Paolo, and this is almost like a really like dug down way to answer it, but like if the team really needed to, like Paolo could bring the ball up for them. And I don't think Jabari Smith could do that. So as simple and dumb as that sounds, like that's how I'll put it. 
Um, and sort of related this is from uh, Josh Aber Sports, uh, Josh Aber underscore sports on Twitter. Um, how concerning should Jabari Smith's inability to create space off the dribble actually be? Um, I'll take this one first because this is one that really kind of speaks to me. Um, I think it's really worrying. Uh, it's sometimes like I, I watch him and I just, I struggle to see number one pick in, in the same way some people do because of that. Like it's it just, he doesn't seem to create a ton of easy buckets other than just being 6'10 and being able to shoot like he can. And that has value. That has a lot of value. And his defense is really good and he does have good feel, but he just like, there are some moments where I'm watching him uh, dribble and, and drive where I just like his lower body biomechanics look really weird to me. I haven't dived super deep into it, but I don't think he gets a ton of like, he doesn't get like a ton of motion in his lower body as he's trying to like get low and, and dribble. It's like his legs aren't separating and taking the long strides they should or something like that. Like I said, I haven't dived super deep into it, but like he really struggles to create a lot of space. Um, and that uh, includes like getting downhill all the way to the rim. He's not very good at that. And then it's also creating space, you know, like if you create good space, like teams have to adjust to you and that opens up more passing lanes and it also makes your shot easier. Um, so to me, it is really worrying and it's something that um, he's able to overcome. And I'm not thinking like, this will be the death nail on him as it is even a potential all-star or anything. But I, I think it is worrying when you're talking about number one pick type guy. Um, where are you guys at with this? I think so. Oh, go ahead. Cooper. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I, the thing is, is that like, like you said, it's worrying, but there, like it, it causes him to have these games where he goes like one for seven, one for eight or like three for 12 or whatever because of the inconsistency but he's also just some games such a good shooter such a high level shot maker that it just doesn't matter uh and like sometimes all you can do is pray and that's all you can do to stop a jabari smith jumper because if it's if he takes it and he's feeling it it's going in there's nothing you can really do uh but the inability like you said to get anything easy you want to be able to have those moments where you can you know, make the contested shots, but then you also want to be able to mix in like, oh, I can actually get to the easy dribble jumper sometimes and create some space uh, and not just fully rely on the tough shot making because it's, it's not going to get you every single game. You know, it just creates too much inconsistency. Uh, and I'd love to see him find some kind of an easy basket that he can get to. But at the moment, it's not really there consistently enough. Yeah, I think it is. It is worrisome, but in another sense, sort of back to the question before, it's worrisome if you're sort of viewing him in that role as like a really high usage guy, but in more of a connecting type role. I honestly am not too concerned about it. Uh, but again, it does sort of play into, you know, how valuable is that at like the number one pick, um, which is sort of a separate discussion. But uh, I think for his role specifically, or what I project to be his, what would provide most value out of him, um, I'm not sure I'm overly concerned about it. I just think it, it puts sort of a, a limit and a, and a serious cap on what he can do um, as sort of an offensive option. Yeah, uh, I think that's an excellent discussion on that. Um, so this is an interesting question about sort of a philosophy when drafting in the second round um which is 
kind of an important part of the draft that I feel like sometimes goes under discussed. Um, it says, uh, would you rather take in the late second round, would you rather take a 22 year old senior who was the leader on his team and like the best player, you know, he brings up McKinley Wright last year, but this goes for any sort of like all around. I feel like the easiest way to think of this is with guards uh, because generally wings or there's some bigs that are like this too, but you know, like 22 year old senior all around player, but no like standout skills. They were at college four years leader on like a solid team or, you know, a freshman young player who has like an elite skill, but uh, that's sort of their baseline this is from uh, Alex J King 35. This is one of my best friends. So uh, treat him nicely. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I think this is an interesting question. Like I said, he brings up McKinley, Wright. Uh, last year or J.D. Davison this year. Uh, just the general idea of like older guy who you think has a shot to fill into rotation early or are you going to bet on the younger player who um, has maybe some more elite upside but a lot more downside uh, in the late second round? Uh, Stone, I'll throw this one to you. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm just sort of, uh, I'm going to take a flyer. I'm going to swing for the fences if I'm in the second round. Uh, I'm going to take the guy that to me, just projects to have higher upside. Um, I think if I wanted sort of a leader or someone that I think could be viable contributor in the locker room or, or just lead like a competent second unit or something, uh, I still think I could sort of find those guys uh, in the undrafted free agency. Um, whereas a lot of these sort of flyers, um, I'd rather just take a shot on if I have the opportunity, see how it pans out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's in the second round, but um, usually I'm I'm one to sort of take a gamble. Um, and that's that's where I would buy on this. I would actually say draft neither and go for an unscalable big. Uh, actually draft two of them if you're the 76ers. But uh, no, I I agree with Stone. Go for the swing. Uh, it's you can get a second round pick for so cheap uh here late like past 50 that if you're not spending this on a swing like it's not exactly the same but the clippers how they did with bj boston you know if you hit on this and get any kind of a value from this late second round uh it's basically like cheating the system you know you hit on a late second round pick and you know it basically creates free value out of out of minute out of the air that's uh, just the easiest thing to do and i don't know why you would take a, a petrashev or a garza or a bassi or even like like you said like a mckinley wright who you can find in droves in undrafted free agency it's like you could have had uh you could have had dejan Giroux in undrafted free agency who's better than you know about 50 60 percent of the guys who went in the second round and also gives you that leadership and like go for the guys who you can't get a lot of you know those standout skills maybe you don't always want to bet on them the most but like maybe it's not something that you know if you're like super seriously looking at a prospect you're not like oh, I, I want to bet on this but sometimes you got to take a swing you know some some of these guys will end up panning out you know why would you, you know, Aaron Wiggins went in, in the late fifties and that's this kind of late swing on someone who's kind of interesting. Uh, and the thunder look like geniuses. So it's, it's just so easy. Why not do it? 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest arguments against drafting guys like McKinley Wright are guys like Jose Alvarado or, um, you know, uh, uh, TJ McConnell, like Howell Neto. There are like like 20 backup point guards in the league right now who are good at basketball and like can are good backup point guards who went undrafted. And that's not me saying draft those guys. I think it's just like sometimes like backup point guard is such a it backup point guards like generally have to be really in tune with um the coach i feel like and it's just sort of about can guys fill in into the system right so if you feel like you know if you feel like you can draft a guy who's like going to be a high level backup point guard for you fine but you know if you really need a backup point guard why draft nico Mannion when you could just maybe get a nico Mannion and then a uh, I'm struggling to think of an undrafted guard from that club. or like, like a Trey Jones, like Trey Jones and Nico Mannion. Instead of drafting them, just bring like two of them in on two ways or something, or bring them both onto your summer league roster and see who you like. Like I, I've always thought, like the second I'm with you guys, like the second round should be for taking swings at guys who might fall out of the league, but bring major upside rather than just are helping you at the margins. Because like if Aaron Wiggins turns into a starting caliber player and you got that guy at 57 something like that uh 55 maybe i can't remember um but uh yeah like that's that's incredible value that's the type of value you rarely get because those guys are often cheap for a long time too because usually they're on their two three year rookie deals and then they get the hinky special um you know that that four year with three non-guaranteed years you're keeping those guys around for a long time on the cheap like that's like what lou dort's at right now so um, that's that's sort of where I'm at with drafting those type of guys. No, uh, uh, no surprise that we're sticking with the brand, and we all want the upside swings. So I'm not going to boo you for that, but that that was that was almost boo worthy. Um, <laughs> okay, I think we're all right to move to the next one question. Ball, one ball line. That was uh, that was definitely something. Um, this question is very pertinent because I'm cheating on you guys currently by watching this game that has one of these players. Um, some Pac-12 prospects, uh, Johnny Juzang, Jabari Walker, and Harrison Ingram. Uh, different draft boards have them going in the first round. In your opinions, which of the three actually go in the first round? And all this is from uh, at C. Hendricks 34 which is my dad. Um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna take this question as, like, do we have any of them in the first round? And then do we think any of them go in the first round? Um, oh man, Johnny Juzang hit tough jumper. This is, he's making his case right now, right in front of me. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, um, Coop, I'll do this to you first. Uh, do you have any of these guys in the first round and do you think any of them end up going in the first round? So I currently have Harrison Ingram in my first round, um, pretty near the lottery, if not in the lottery, haven't fully fleshed it out. Uh, but Jabari Walker is someone who could be going first round. Uh, the shooting splits have been devastating after they were like ridiculous last season on pretty small sample. Um, you know, I think both of those guys could potentially go first round. They're both just big forwards who give you a couple of different things. And that's usually worth, worth drafting in the first round, especially if either of them can really shoot the ball. And then Johnny Juzang, you know, if you're Chad Ford, he's going in the first round after after not being on your top 60 all year. But one great tournament run that really, really changes the calculus. Um, 
But no, I don't think Juzang should go in the first. I don't think he should be drafted, frankly. Um, I'll let you guys get into the details if you want to of, of roasting Juzang, but uh, I don't. I think Harrison Ingram is probably the only one who will realistically go in the first round, but Jabari should maybe as well. Um, I'm just going to echo that last sentence. That's pretty much where I'm at, and I don't think I need to really expand anymore because Cooper pretty much covered it for me. Yeah, I'll expand a little bit. Um, Johnny Juzang is, if he goes in this draft, which he probably will, is probably going to be the least athletic player in this draft. Um, like no burst, very slow laterally, um, not a good leaper. The the one like skill he really brings at a high level is like elite, tough shot making. Um, and I just don't value that from like, like potential eighth men who are bad at defense. Um, I you know, maybe he figures it out and just turns into like a shooting specialist, but like he's a solid step, like less athletic than like Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. So like, I don't even know if like he can be those guys, you know, like those guys are quite a bit more athletic than him or, you know, like Duncan Robinson's like three inches taller than him. Um, so yeah, Johnny, you saying I'm pretty out on as a draftable guy, much less as a first round guy. Harrison Ingram. I, would take in the first round. I'm still trying to figure out where in the first round because there are moments where I'm like, oh, he's a lottery pick. And there are moments where I'm like, is he a second rounder? I'm not confident he'll go in the first round. I think he'll go in this draft, but he could he could end up like the last Stanford guy, Tyrell Terry, and just, uh, you know, fall to 31. Um, he's solidly better than Tyrell Terry because he can dribble and Tyrell Terry could not. Um, and then I like Jabari Walker quite a bit. Uh, it's interesting because I like he's probably a small ball five, like in his optimal role. Um, and I'm not confident he's going to be great at that, but I'm also not confident he's going to be a good enough passer to play the four. You know, people talk about shooting a lot. I think you have to have a, like a solid baseline of passing to really exist as a wing too. I'm just not confident he's there. Um, but the, Harrison Ingram and, and Jabari Walker, two guys who are at the very least probably going to be on like the fringe of my first round. And I think should both probably be getting first round looks, even though if I, if I were to guess all three of these guys don't end up drafted in the first round, honestly, I think even Harrison Ingram, I think there's real potential. He goes back to school. Um, you know, we could talk about two other Pac-12 prospects and F.A. Abikidi and Muhammad Gay here if we want. Um, but we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't. Uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, so say my Spurs get hosed and stuck at four or five. If someone at seven to 10 loves Ivy, what kind of additional compensation could the Spurs expect were they to trade back with that partner and just take Keegan with the later pick Keegan Murray? Uh, would that net a future first? So that's from at Chichi and Pato. Uh, Coop, I'll throw this to you. Yes. Yeah, so historically, if they were to trade back from like four or five to like nine or 10, they probably could get a first. If it was any closer, probably could be lotto protected or whatever, top five, top seven. Uh, depends on who they're trading with, all this different stuff. But if they end up at like four or five, I would not trade back if I'm the Spurs. Uh, I specifically wouldn't trade back for Keegan Murray. Uh, if you are going to trade back for Keegan Murray, uh, I 
you know, if you can get him at like 16 or 17, then I'd, I'd take Keegan Murray, but not, I wouldn't waste a lottery pick on, on Keegan. Uh, especially when, if you're at four or five, you can take Adrian Griffin Jr. Or Paolo Bancaro, you know, in all likelihood, if you can trade up, you know, they have so many, they have all their picks. I'm pretty sure they have more because of all the sign and trades and stuff that they've done, you know, spend some of that capital, move up, get somebody, you know, who can really fit. I think Paolo's a great fit for this Spurs team. You know, if you move some uh, like people like Jakob Pirtle or Doug McDermott, I think Chet and Jabari are both great fits there. You know, just bigger players that had a little bit more versatility to that, you know, the garden wing centric roster that they have. Uh, you know, I just don't know if like a 23 year old in Keegan Murray, you know, we talked about this on the last pod. I don't know if Keegan Murray is a great fit there for the Spurs. But I mean, if they were to do it, if they were to trade back, I think you could get a first. Uh, it's just wouldn't be my first pick of something to do. If they landed at four or five. Yeah, I think four or five, I probably wouldn't take Ivy in the first place. But if I'm at four or five, I'd also just probably keep the pick. I wouldn't want to trade down, I don't think. Um, it, it, I don't know. It, I would think you can still probably get somebody like a Adrian Griffin Jr. that can sort of change your franchise, hopefully. Um, and past that, maybe it's, you know, sort of more of a crapshoot. But um, if you're, if I'm trading back, again, I'm, I'm still probably not taking Keegan. Um and I'm not sure a future first would really be what another team would offer just because uh, it's not that much of a difference in this particular class. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'd i probably just stick with the pick, honestly. If I'm at four or five, stick with the pick and take whoever you like the most. Um, I don't think trading back would really be worth it. So Here's what I'll say. Master plan for the Spurs right here, all right? So you trade back with a team that has two lottery picks and you draft Marjon Beauchamp and Tari Eason. And then you trade for Malachi Flynn and Jaden McDaniels. And you run a starting five of DeJounte Murray, Malachi Flynn, Marjon Beauchamp, Tari Eason, and Jaden McDaniels. Okay, that is the Pacific Northwest All-Stars. I will buy every Spurs jersey on earth. I will buy them all. Uh, so that's the master plan, obviously. Um, but yeah, barring that, I agree with you guys. Stay at four or five. You're the Spurs. Uh, you need um, more just good players on your roster uh, and just draft the highest upside one. I agree with the general thought. You know, the best fit here probably isn't Ivy, um, but there's other guys at four or five I'd rather take for this team. So um, the next one from our uh, good friend and compatriot at Matisa15. Uh, he's been on the come up working for basketball news now. So uh, big time right there. Uh, he says, what is one surefire way to never miss on a draft pick ever? Um, thought about this one long and hard. Uh, and because of that, I'm going to throw this to you guys to answer first. Uh, so Stone, go ahead. Um, I, I think the best answer I could come up with is um, draft good players um, <laughs> and don't draft bad players. Uh, but no, there, there's really no answer to this. Like, there's there's no way that you 100% of the time will hit on a pick, even if you have the number one pick. Um, it's way less likely uh, that, that you'll miss. But even then, it's not. There's no foolproof 
surefire bet that you'll absolutely nail a pick and and not miss. Um, so I really don't have an answer. So in that regard, I guess you stumped me uh, because <laughs> I, I can't give an answer. There's no through line. There's no um, perfect formula to drafting, unfortunately. So there's no perfect answer as to how you can avoid missing on a pick. So my my the two things I wrote down are draft good basketball players uh, and trade all your draft picks because you're never going to be able to, to hit on every pick unless you listen to me specifically. Uh, if you had me telling you who to draft and who not to draft, then you would never miss on a pick because I have never, ever missed on a draft pick. Um, but that's for losers. Take more risks. The fear of missing ruins everything. Just take guys who have the potential to be awesome. Yeah, uh, so I have two things written down as well. Uh, one is only draft players from Villanova. Um, uh, that that works pretty well. Um, and then two is uh, hire Stone Hansen uh, to be on your team. So uh, that's uh, I mean, that's where we're at. That's where Amari, we're at. Amari Spellman would like to like to talk okay about okay <laughs> let's uh, let's let's move on because um, I would have. <laughs> I like Damari Smilman a lot. So um, uh, anyways, moving on, um, we have uh, our next question is just a more general one. Um, and I'll throw this up to both you guys. Uh, thoughts on Taryn Armstrong and John Butler. Um, whoever wants to take that one can go ahead. Uh, come on. You knew what you were doing here asking this question. Um, uh, I think John Butler is the greatest big man of all time. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, if you're not taking John Butler top 20, I, I really just don't see how you don't at this point in time, um, other than the fact that he's not in this draft and, and probably doesn't declare. But yeah, it's uh, it's too easy, I think, to not take John Butler top 20 at this point. Uh, there's too much to like as a big man who can shoot and protect the rim and I don't know. It's uh, very tough for me to see him not succeeding at some level in the NBA. Uh, and then Taron Armstrong, I think, is sort of the second round bet that we were talking about. Like, if you see around in the second round bet, I think you take that swing. Um, he's probably the best passer or a very, very top passer in this class. Um, and, you know, if that's around in the second round, then I think you take that swing and uh, live with whatever results come out of it uh, because he has that sort of one elite skill and if other parts of his game develop more and more then you hit a home run in the second round so um, that's sort of where I am with Armstrong and Butler yeah I love both of these players uh, to absolute death I have both of them as probably first round guys John Butler is a lottery guy um, Butler is just one of the funkiest movers I've ever seen in my entire life uh, and actually plays well on the basketball court. So that's, you know, two good things in his favor. Uh, and then Taryn is just an absolute wizard with the basketball. Um, and it's really weird. It's like, he's an apprentice wizard because sometimes his spells work and he's, you know, everything's clicking. And then sometimes he's, flinging shit that goes absolutely nowhere or he can't get around somebody who is an awful defender and can't fake him out of their shoes uh just a really confusing player but i think that he's worth the bet because there aren't 
many, there's not anybody like Taryn. And, you know, you take guys for, you draft guys who have distinct, rare skills, you know, whether that's weird passing or, you know, outlier shooting, you take outliers in the draft. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of both. They're both outliers in their own way. Yeah. Um, uh, everything you guys said about Butler, I agree with. Uh, Armstrong is really weird um, because he, like, isn't really good at anything other than passing. And it's really weird. Like, that's just not something you see very often. It's hard to value that guy. Um, I don't know if I draft him this year. I'd definitely give him a two-way to see how he fares in the G League. I'm not confident I draft him. Maybe 50 to 60, but it just sort of depends. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's probably good on Taryn. Um, yeah, uh, for those wondering, the, the Arizona State-UCLA game right now is complete fucking sicko mode. Like, this is disgusting basketball. Uh, UCLA looks awful. Arizona State is awful and are like, I don't know, it's just... It's such a mess. Anyways, uh, these next couple questions are from our friend uh, um, Zach Welch at, at ZDubs26. Um, so the first one, who seems most likely to be the guy we miss or overthink this year? Uh, every year it feels like there's a guy who just gets overthought. I've, I'll make the argument that last year that was probably Jonathan Kaminga. Um, the year before that, uh, names are blanking. Probably like Anthony Edwards was overthought a little bit. Um, maybe James Weisman was underthought. Lamelo Ball was definitely overthought. So there's always guys that are overthought. Um, who seems the most likely to be that guy this year? Uh, Coop, I'll throw that to you. So I had two names. Uh, one was John Butler. I think overthinking guys with his mobility and you know developing offensive ability uh, is kind of stupid. And then my other guy was Alex Fudge. Uh, who I would definitely draft this year, even if you're going to do it in the second. Uh, I think these defensive savants tend to be overthought a little bit. Uh, I don't think John Butler is the same level of processor as Fudge, obviously, but he's, a ridic- you know, they're both ridiculous movers, incredible defenders. Uh, and just guys like that who can add so much value defensively, I think just tend to be overthought. And it's like, oh, what is he going to do on offense? And it's like a smart coach can figure out what to do. You know, maybe it requires a little bit more when, you know, I don't, I think Alex Fudge is a bit more complicated than Butler where, you know, you can stick Butler in the corner and kind of rely on him to do stuff. But uh, I think you just take a bet on guys whose defense alone will get them onto the floor. So taking this like in a very personal route, the type of guy I'm most worried about overthinking is Jaden Ivey. Um, cause he's just generally like the type of player I don't like, you know, shooting guard doesn't have like, he, he lacks like basically all the ancillary skills are pretty bad, but the, um, you know, the, the foundation is so good that I want to try not to overthink him. I think that goes a little bit, and this is less for me personally, more for people in general with Blake Wesley, um, where I think he's being overthought sometimes. Uh, in in certain ways just like he you know because partially he didn't have a ton of priors he wasn't really on the draft radar until recently um you know we're kind of like 
oh, like, uh, you, you know, I think we're overthinking 6'5", can dribble, can shoot, uh, can pass a little bit, can defend really well at certain uh, moments. Um, he he lacks a lot of the, like, the, the through line that ties that all together, but I think he can be overthought a little bit. And then the last one I'll go with is, is someone who I feel like is already being overthought a lot, and that's Julian Champagny. Uh, in the recent ESPN mock draft, he was in, like, he was at like 54. It's like, come on, what are we doing? This dude is 6'8". He can really, really shoot. Uh, he can pass a little bit. He can put it on the floor. And he's a pretty solid defender. Like just, I mean, that's a first round pick. Uh, and I don't really have any other way to swing that. Um, I just think he, he needs to be a first round pick. I don't know why we're overthinking him. Uh, Stone, uh, who are guys that fit this for you? Uh, well, you both took my two names that I had um, between John Butler and Julian Champagne, uh, both I think are just pretty clear cut first round in, at least in my opinion, top 20 type guys um, who I just really struggle to see how they don't provide any sort of positive impact to an NBA team at some point in their careers. Um, I guess the only other name I I sort of had uh, for me was Jordan Hall. Um, I think it's a, a wing who can pass at the level that he does um, and can sort of control the tempo uh, and can now shoot a little bit, uh, a, a decent bit, actually. Um, I, I feel like that's just a pretty good bet to take if I'm an NBA team. Um, not very often that those sort of guys come around. And when they do, I think, generally speaking, that um, – there's going to be some level of positive impact, even if it's with the second unit that they provide, because uh, even if he Jordan Hall can't play defense, uh, he's still six, eight. So <laughs> there's a way to hide him and, you know, cover him a bit on that end. Uh, so I, I think he's somebody that people are sort of overthinking because he's got a lot of different weaknesses to his game. But um, I think sort of the strong points considering his frame as well, just sort of weigh that out. Yeah, uh, I think Jordan Hall is a great name to bring up here. Um, I think if he, like, falls to the second round, he's going to be the second rounder, like, most likely to make an all-star team down the line. Uh, Jordan Hall is really good. Um, another question from Z-Dubs. Uh, which prospects array of outcomes are most dependent on a singular swing skill? I love this question. Um, I've thought quite a bit about this since I saw it, uh, I, and I find it, fascinating like the difference between top end and low end outcomes for one singular swing skill uh that's something that's just so fascinating to think about um do you guys have anyone prepared for this if not i can go uh but if you have anyone prepared uh go ahead i just had uh ej liddell isn't an nba player without a three-point shot uh i think that's a pretty big swing skill kind of the most simple one is is shot uh, but then uh, Jabari Smith Jr., if the handle develops, which I will never bet on or be like, hey, watch out for the handle. But if the handle does develop, then that, uh, I think, completely changes the calculus there. Maybe not completely, but it it raises his ceiling to a very significant extent. So th- those are the two main ones that I had. Uh, so unless Stone has one, Bryce can go play around on his uh, personal playground of swing skills. Um, yeah I do uh, I have a couple but uh, I'll try and keep it short um, 
shooting, I'm going to try and avoid just because that's a swing skill for so many different guys. Um, and I think it's, I mean, pretty easily a case to be made for like 20, 30 guys in this class. Um, I'm going to say off ball defense for Kendall Brown. Um, I think that's sort of a big swing skill in terms of how successful he can be. Um, without it, I think there's a lot of questions into how he provides, you know, any sort of positive impact defensively. Uh, he's so athletic that I think he in time will be able to figure it out uh, to a level that um, will at least get him minutes, but uh, it, it's very much a swing school. I think it's, it's going to be something that people should really keep track of and, and keep tabs on. I know a lot of guys that are young sort of get a pass because off ball defense is something that so many guys struggle with, but with Brown, it's, it's actually sort of a red flag. So um, I think that's very much a swing skill in terms of, you know, how high his ceiling can be um, and what he can become because he's sort of a question mark to me at that point. And then the next one for me is um, probably feel with Alan Flanagan. Um, I'm not sure how many people at this point sort of view him as an NBA prospect, but I think if he did actually have like a pretty good sense of feel that there's a very good case to be made that he's sort of like maybe a top 40 guy in this class because of just the natural talent that he does have in, in different aspects. But um, it's very difficult to see that when you see sort of the lack of feel in how he sees things and reads things on the basketball court. So um, I'm not betting on it by any means, but I think if that skill were to come around, Alan Flanagan is a significantly better prospect than what he is now. So I went a little different with this. Um, so my first one is Tari Eason and deceleration. Um, like if he could just learn how to like slow himself down a little bit when getting to the rim, I think that would be huge, huge for him. Uh, my next one is Shaden Sharp and uh, core flexibility. Um, Shaden Sharp is someone who doesn't get talked about very much because he's not playing, and it's really, um, it's really hard to to get a gauge on him. But I've seen a lot of his high school tape. I think his his flexibility is going to be huge for him because. I think that's the difference between him being like a real like on ball scorer, versatile scorer who can do a lot of different things and like someone who feels more of like the norm Powell archetype, like probably better than that, but that type of like secondary scorer or someone who kind of has to play within a flow or, or uh, be a second unit type guy, like however you want to define that. And then you know, it's boring to say shooting, but I'm going to say uh, Jalen Williams, like above the break shooting is going to be really important for him uh, because not that I think that he can't be good without it, but I think the difference between like, like starting center Jalen Williams and, or, or power forward, however you want to describe him positionally and more of like a bench guy is that above the break shooting, spacing the floor out. And then finally, uh, I think with Paolo Bancaro, it, it's going to be sort of the uh, proprioception uh, as a passer, understanding when and where people are open, uh, where closeouts are going to come from, and and where the best uh, sort of where the soft spots of the floor are. It's going to be huge for him because I think that's the difference between someone who can be the best player on a really good team and someone who needs to be surrounded by uh, at least one other star type player. So um that's where i'm at with those uh, i think we're good to move on to the final question from our good friend zach um, and he says 
who is suffering the most from their context, who is benefiting the most, how might they look elsewhere. I just had a tweet about this, so it's really funny to me, um, but I'll, I'll throw this out to you guys first. Um, is there anyone that stands out to answer these questions? I think the very, very, very obvious one is Peyton Watson at UCLA um, in terms of uh, the context that he's in uh, and how much he is suffering you know, on that team. I think on another team uh, that maybe isn't trying to make a very, very deep run or, or contend in the uh, the tournament is giving him more minutes and more opportunity. Um, I think I'm not sure anybody has suffered more because of context than, than Peyton Watson uh, within this class. Um, and as for somebody that I think is benefiting, uh, I mean, obviously, like all the top guys um, at, at the class, uh, in this class, um, as with every class, but uh, I think there's a case to be made that um, just because of sort of the role that he's in and, and without many other guys around him, uh, that Tyrese Hunter is, is maybe getting excelled a little bit in terms of uh, how much usage in, in the role that he's getting. Um, similar to maybe like a Teron Armstrong. Uh, it's like there's not many other guys that can do what they can do, but at the same time, there's a microscope on them and a lot of their flaws are going to get picked out because there is nobody else that, that can do what they do. Um, so it's sort of a double-edged sword, but at the same time, I think just because of the role that they're in and the increased responsibilities that, that they have to create um, consistently for their teams, that they're going to be uh, sort of given a, a better opportunity um, than maybe they would on other teams. So yeah, that's sort of my, my two-name answer for that. Yeah, so I had, uh, as benefiting, I had J.D. Davison at Alabama. Uh, and then I had two people who were being harmed. I had uh, Kendall Brown developmentally um, being harmed offensively uh, because he has to play with Flagler, Mayo, Mayer, and Akinjo. Um, Akinjo is the most frustrating player in college. Akinjo, don't Straight even up. get don't even get me started on fucking Akinjo. Uh, and then Cameron Fletcher is being harmed because even though he is cool and every single time he plays, he does good stuff, uh, he doesn't get enough minutes, even though he's a 6'7 versatile wing. Um, so JD, would uh, he'd look a lot more in over his head without Nate Oates, Shackelford, and Quinterly to protect him. Uh, he'd be doing a lot more just driving into nothingness and flinging the ball wildly to no one in particular. Uh, Kendall Brown, I just wanted to get more on-ball reps I tweeted about it today uh, that I was like genuinely shocked when I saw him get a pick and roll rep, uh, even if it did come like it was in the flow of the offense, but it's still exactly what you want to see. Um, and just, I would love to see him get more touches on a team that doesn't have like 14 other guys. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, we've always played through our guards, even though we lost our three best guards and we now have, guys who can't throw passes in the middle of the floor without having seven turnovers a game. Uh, we're not going to run through our best players. Um, very frustrating. And then I just wish Cameron would be able to show off his, the flashes and the athleticism a lot more consistently in two-way play. Uh, maybe actually be in draft conversations if he was somewhere that, you know, maybe didn't have enough wings or didn't have enough size. I, 
I really think with with an opportunity he could be draftable. Uh, probably as a second round guy, but just the stuff he shows every game is it's just so translatable. So. Yeah, so for my answer, obviously Peyton Watson is the person most hurt by his context. I still think he'd be a top 10 player uh, most other places he went, honestly. Like, if I'm just being completely honest, he goes to most other schools. I think he's a lottery pick. Um, he still will be a lottery player on my board, almost certainly. Uh, players also hurt by their context. Uh, any big or dependent player not playing with, like, a good point guard, uh, that goes for Jalen Duran, uh, Jabari Walker, um, you know, part of why Walker Kessler, I think, is seen as almost like a step above those other guys is because of, uh, you know, he plays with Wendell Green, who's really good. Uh, I guess people don't see him as a step above Jalen Duran, but um, you, you, you get what I'm saying there. <laughs> um, uh, I think someone helped a little bit by their context that maybe goes like, a bit under talked about is Alondez Williams. I'm just like, I don't know. He's at like a, he's in like a weird spot, I guess. I don't know. I like Wake Forest is really built for him. Um, Juzang just missed another jumper, uh, of course. Um, but yeah. And then another guy I'll go with who's hurt a little bit is Nolan Hickman uh, because he's stuck behind. It'll be good for him long-term because he'll probably be a top 20 pick next year. Uh, if I were to guess, um, but, uh, you know, right now it's hurting, it's hurting his current stock because of, uh, how things are going. So, um, all right. So we are on the final stretch, two questions left. This one is pretty much, uh, just for coop. Uh, so we have two questions from at E Demir NBA. Uh, first, would you take Sasser with the second round pick despite his injury? Uh, I'd take Sasser with an early second easily. Uh, the stuff he showed, he's showed that he can scale up and down with different lineups, play with different types of players. Uh, he's shown that he can be the main point guard as well as scale back a little bit and let guys like, like Josh Carlton dominate, even if it wouldn't, like, unless he goes to the Sixers or the the Nuggets, you know, it doesn't exactly translate. Uh, it's still just a good ability to have having a scalable backup point guard. He shoots the piss out of the ball. He gets into the paint well. An absolute beast at the point of attack. Uh, a clear-cut first-rounder if he stays healthy. I don't see why he's not draftable in the second. Please don't draft him in the second because I want him to stay and for UH to win the national title next year. But uh, I think he's definitely draftable. One of my – I think I have him in the tier below guys like Jan and – uh, Hugo Basson and a tier above a lot of the other point guards who are are really beloved in this class. So I I'm a big Sasser fan, even if it is it's a little bit biased, but I think I think he's draftable in the second, if not the first. Yeah. Oh, I would absolutely draft Sasser. I, I was talking about him as like a surefire first rounder uh, before his injury. I was really comfortable with that. Uh, just one of the better point guard bets in this draft. Um, this is another question from uh, Demir I find sort of interesting. How many drafts and stash picks do you guys expect this year? Uh, so this is really interesting. Um, I'm just, I'm going to try and go through it and just sort of see where we're at. Uh, I think Perkotchin still might get drafted. If he gets drafted, he's probably stashed. 
Um, Ishmael Kamigate probably drafted 50-50 stash or not stash. I would say probably stashed, um, but you never know. It, and that's really like, and then Jovic is the type of guy who I, I don't think would get stashed. I think if you're drafting Nicole Jovic, you're going to bring him over. Am I crazy for that? I don't know. Um, and then other than that, there's like no surefire guy. But here's what I'll say. There's always going to be more guys drafted in stash than you expect. Um, think of Vic Krejci last year. Um, the year before that, Justinian Chessup, who wasn't even like an overseas guy's overseas guy, was drafted and then stashed in Australia. Like, if I were to guess, and this year I don't think it's especially likely or not likely. This feels like a pretty normal year, but I could see probably five, six guys getting drafted stashed. So I would say at least like two guys, specifically Kamigate and Roko Prokachin, I think both get drafted and I think both get stashed. And then other than that, it's going to be two to three more sort of random ones. And then Nikola Jovic is like 50-50 for me. Are you guys about there or, or where are you at with I'm probably about there. Uh, I think like uh, Gabriel Pachita, uh, I don't know about his stash prospects. I'm not super in tune with draft and stash stuff, but uh, just someone from overseas who I really like and, you know, could be drafted this year and, you know, maybe left over there for a little bit. But other than that, I, I don't have a super crazy finger on the pulse of draft and stash stuff. I think, just to throw out a few names that like Bryce was saying that, you know, maybe near the end or whatever could get um, stashed uh, like a Tristan Vucevic. Um, I know people sort of were higher on him to begin the year. Uh, maybe there's a team that still likes him near the end of the draft. Um, my guy, uh, Shambar Maranka, um, <laughs> hopefully another NBA team likes him as much as I do uh, to stash him near the end of the cl- uh, draft. Um Pavel Savkov, uh, another sort of draft and stash name. Tom Digbo, uh, I really like him, but I'm not sure if he'll get drafted. If he does, he would be a draft and stash type guy. Um, but yeah, those are just sort of you know near the end uh, for teams that don't want to necessarily use all their picks to to fill roster spots or anything, um, and might like some foreign guys and and keep them over to develop a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, outside of them, uh, I'm not really sure. Ariel Hug Porty too is another name. I guess you can you can throw in there. Uh, but those are sort of the the top names near the end of the draft. I think that would be in the mix. Actually, you mentioned Hook Porty, and that made me think. I think it's fairly likely that if Usman Jang gets drafted, he's stashed because yeah. he is not ready for the NBA at all. Uh, so if he gets drafted, which he probably will, it seems like uh, he should probably he probably should and probably will be stashed. Um, Here's an interesting one. Uh, likely second round player that will have the most success. So this is tough. Um, I, I take this as like someone who we're higher on that we think is fairly likely to go in the second round that will have the most success. Not someone that we have in our second round that will go, uh, that will have the most success. Is that how you guys read it or, or how? Okay. All right. So for me, um, that's probably John Butler. I'd bet. Unless, okay. Here's what I'll say. Like, if it's just like pure likelihoods, if Julian Champagne is going to be a second round pick, then it's Julian Champagne because he is the most absurd. Like, how does this guy end up in the second round? Like, you've had plenty of time to look at this guy. You know he's good at basketball. Like, I, I don't I don't get how he ends up in the second round. But 
if he ends up in the second round, like he's just the by probability like likely to have the most success. But uh, John Butler is the other name for me. We all love John Butler. He's probably going to end up in the second round, and he's a guy I really love. So um, where, where are you guys at with this? Those two guys as well for me. Um, the other guy that I'm, I was sort of unsure if he goes second, if he were to declare or not, it was Jeremy Sohan. Um, I'm not really sure just how NBA teams view him. Obviously, for all of us, I think he'd be a first guy. But uh, if NBA teams view him sort of in a second round away, I think he's very easily the answer for me here. Uh, if Justin Lewis ends up slipping to the second round, uh, just great six seven sophomore wing out of Marquette, uh, just an incredible rebounder, been on an absolute tear, just a demon. If he ends up slipping to the second round, I could see him as the uh, the most successful second rounder, or one of the most. Uh, or Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, if he ends up going to the second, if he comes out. Uh, I don't know why he didn't come out last year, but uh, just funky wings who go in the second. Uh, if Jordan Hall goes in the second, it would be him. But, uh, you know, just another guy who I think should go. Like, these are all just guys who I think should go in the first that will probably end up slipping to the second. It's like if we're going off the ESPN mock, then it's uh, it's Tari Eason. But that I feel like that's unfair. So... Yeah, uh, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, any funky wing, right? Like like I mentioned earlier, if Jordan Hall falls to the second round, like, to me, he's the most likely second rounder to make, like, an all-star game down the line. Um, but that was the last question. That one, by the way, was at Stephen G. Hoops, who is a who is a, a friend of ours. So, um, yeah, this was awesome, guys. Uh, again, it means a lot to just, like, get the amount of questions we got. Uh, feels like we've come a long way since when we first started this, and uh, it's it's like stuff is really about to start to, about to like really ramp up here um you know as we get closer to march as we're going to start doing the individual prospect breakdowns and then we are going to do the 30 teams in 30 days series um uh again this year and it should be easier on me thank god because last year it was a uh, very hectic but we are going to do that again uh we should probably get to asking people at some point but um just so everyone knows too this ucla asu game absolutely fucking wild it's in three ot this is number three country against a six and 13 um asu team so uh the pac-12 is officially just completely broke like take it back and uh you know return it for some money or something but this has been awesome guys uh coop do you want to plug the stuff yeah i need ucla to lose so uh can climb higher in the rankings but uh, higher than sixth, but uh, follow us on Twitter at Upside Swings. Follow us on TikTok at Upside Swings. Follow, follow Bryce at Bryce Hendricks 14. Uh, follow Stone at Report underscore Court. Follow me at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop. Uh, leave a review, rate the pod, uh, whatever you actually think, do that. But I beg you, uh, just give us five stars and tell us how great we are. That is the only thing that will make me sleep better at night uh thank you for listening you know we value each and every one of you thank you to everyone who submitted a question and thank you to everyone who made it this far um listening to us jabber about bullshit for over an hour now so this is what we do man this was awesome uh this has been the upside swings and media draft podcast we hope we are sealing thank you we'd like to thank our sponsors once again at global shop solutions Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thank you.